Hello, and welcome to Self-Sabotaging Sagas, hosted by me, your Elevation Guide, Jenea Barnes. Hello, everybody. It's a little snowy here today in New York, snowy, wet, rainy. And we're doing an episode of Self-Sabotaging Sagas, and today we're going to talk about that need to be strong. And I'm here with Jessica. Jessica, why don't you introduce yourself? Hi, everybody. My name is Jessica Corvo, and I am a decent human being. By society context, I also brand myself as a resilience expert. I like to teach people how to kind of make that shift from constantly putting out fires to getting into a flow state and creating a life of intention and love. Uh, I feel that I'm qualified to help people with this specifically because I am a, a survivor of trauma, specifically gun violence. I've lived in four different countries and I climbed corporate ladders and got that, I guess, society labeled corner office <laughs> in foreign countries. <laughs> And sometimes I don't think that I understand uh, bad decisions because it's just some, it's a learning opportunity. So I don't really suffer from, I guess, society's framing of fear. Everything is, face everything in their eyes for me. Awesome. So one of the things that I noticed about when I really had that need to be strong, like I had to hold it in, keep it all together. But I used to get so annoyed with people that came off weak and needy. <laughs> emotions? Like, wait, what? Emotions? No. <laughs> for emotions. <laughs> those are just messengers or those are just things that get in the way. It's time to get stuff done. <laughs> I Exactly. I was always just like, well, I can do it. Why can't you do it? <laughs> Guilty. Absolutely. So, but what I do realize is that when I would be upset or I would be hurting, I was just stuck. I would be in this peril of all by myself, couldn't reach out, didn't dare reach out. I mean, I know what I would have thought of me if <laughs> I tried to reach out for help. Um, and it left me feeling super alone. I felt crazy alone. And it was fine when I was doing, when I was go, 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 because I think those of us that have that need to be strong, we are, we're doers. We get it done. We like, you know, you, they say with that busy person, you know, give it, give it to, give that thing you need done to a busy person. I was your girl right there. Absolutely. Absolutely. What do you feel about when you were having that need back in the past before we've done the healing that we both have done? What was one of the things you really noticed about your need to be strong? I think it's a, I think it's a bunch of different layers. So my level of awareness and where I am now reflecting on where I was then is obviously going to be different, right? So trying to remember me in that state, being a survivor of domestic violence and gun violence, I'm conditioned to my core to be invisible. So anytime that I showed any tears, it's, 
why are you being dramatic? Any time that I tried to express myself, um, what's wrong with you? I think you're bipolar. Or heaven forbid, if I pushed back on some kind of injustice, it was uh, not received with, I'm sorry that you're feeling that way. It was a label. And so for me and my structure, it was, I wanted to be normal and I just wanted to not get criticized or not be told that there was something wrong with me. And so I learned that all of my emotions were just non-essential because if you express emotions and that results in name calling or in some kind of harm, you just stop putting energy and effort into it. So by doing that, you become, I guess, smaller and smaller and smaller, and you lose the ability to kind of take up space and express yourself. So if that's kind of how I, I uh, grew up and everything was toxic positivity, and it was, oh, you're having a bad day. Well, you know, it could be worse. Well, this is actually pretty bad for me right now. <laughs> Let's just hold this. And, or, you know, and, and I'm guilty of it. I mean, I still catch myself doing it for other people when people are having a moment and they just, they don't need you to give them advice. They don't need you to do anything other than say, what do you need at this exact moment? What can I do for you? How can I support you? And sometimes doing nothing is the best thing that you can do, right? And so I guess like looping back to your original question, for me, I was taught not to express myself. I was taught that emotions aren't to be expressed, but emotions are to be channeled into accomplishing. And so through taking my emotions into accomplishing, that was my way of expressing myself. So if somebody was irritating, alienating, in my view, picking on me for whatever reason, and I would get angry. It's like, okay, I got this. Let's let's go and crush something. Let's go in and climb a ladder or travel the world or prove that I can do something. I mean, I didn't have a chip on my shoulder. I had a boulder on my shoulder. And all of that was a lot of emotions that I felt wasn't safe to express verbally, but I expressed through accomplishment. And then later on, through my healing, my goodness, it took me years to reconnect four different therapists over 11 years <laughs> to try to figure out that I was even dissociating. And I still have my moments of, you know, getting, you know, disconnecting and being like, ah, I'm, not, I'm not paying attention to what's going on or, you know, just saying, all right, flipping that switch and going into survival mode and sometimes picking fights because that's easy for me. If, if you have so many years of doing that, it's, it's easy to, to go into old habits. And I think, you know, sometimes it's not about being able to stick your emotions in different places, but just hold space for that uncomfortable moment, which I'm still learning right now. So I'm like, oh, that's a little too much. I'm like, I'll write this out. I'll get 1,500 words. I'm like, I think that's enough. <laughs> we need to like not do something for a couple hours. <laughs> and I'll revisit. I'll kind of tiptoe around. I'm like, nope, not ready. <laughs> It's hopefully that answers really, your question. <laughs> yeah, well, it's really funny because, you know, each of us have our own different experiences and they create this whole web of our minds. So your need to like not to move your emotions into something else was moved into accomplishing. I mm -hmm. also had the accomplishing thing, but it wasn't about emotions for me. For me, it was... I needed some sort of 
um, acknowledgement. I needed some sort of like, you're doing okay. You're good. You did good. I needed that so desperately that need to be loved. So I needed the attention. So that's why I, I said about accomplishing, doing things. I mean, I tied my shoes at the age of two years old and evidently because I couldn't figure out exactly how my mom was showing me. I made up my own way, but it still worked. And evidently I still tie my shoes that way today. <laughs> but it. average, but average kids learn to tie their shoes at five or six. And I was two. And so I started that when just looking for that need of approval. And I think that's one thing that need to be strong really happens, really happens for people. But we also have that you know, we can't let anybody see our emotions and that's for sure. So stuffing it up, not, uh, not asking for help. Um, I love that you're all about the hashtag stronger together. I love that. And if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together and nothing is done single-handedly. Everything is done with people. Totally. I mean, even think when people get you stuck in this, I have to do it all by myself because for whatever reasons, whatever little self-sabotaging things they've got going on in their head, yeah. it's, we don't do anything alone. Even if we think we're doing it all by ourselves, well, I might be working on a business plan, but I'm using a computer. Somebody yeah. invented yeah. that computer. Somebody yeah. made that computer. Somebody worked at the store where I bought the computer. So I have been working with all of these people to do yeah. all of these things. You know, somebody grew the food that I ate. So we don't do shift, shift, shifting, shifting from ego into heart, illness and wellness. Yeah. I and we. Simple. <laughs> So it's one of the things that I think helps shift us out of that. I have to do everything together is really just taking a step back and looking at it from a wider perspective. And we don't do anything by ourselves. This is true. Very true. Very true. Very true. I think like a lot of it also from a corporate context, it's very difficult to be a female and climb corporate ladders and express yourself. I'm fortunate, I didn't deal with corporate America. I, my, a majority of my career was in Asia, Singapore, Hong Kong, China, Indonesia. So over there, emotions are viewed a lot differently. There's a lot more personal responsibility. And so you don't have a lot of misbehaving people that are you know, just going off on tangents. And a lot of the value is on results, which I'm very grateful for. So. I didn't have to worry about being the overly emotional female. It was sometimes people didn't even realize I was a female. It was just, what are your results? And what are you, how are you adding? How are you contributing? What value are you bringing? And to me, that's, I think another thing that we don't talk about enough in a U.S. context, because in the U.S. context, I think that is a form of just being toxic. It's just, why is it that if a, if a gentleman is expressing himself, it's, this is amazing, and now we're going to shift all the company culture. But if there's a female that has the same exact sentence or the same exact sentiments that's shared, it is framed and viewed and interpreted a lot differently. 
And there's a lot of comments that get said that have just been normalized. And I'm very fortunate I'd have to deal with that at such a close level because the majority of my career was built out in Asia. Um, but I How do know it? that that is a thing here. How is it different? What I mean, we kind of most of us live here that are watching today. So most of us know that, you know, there's that the emotional female. And when you're a high achiever, that's definitely not something that's looked well upon. Um, you explained a little bit about it was more about results. But what like what was the experience in being in that? Like if you did have an emotional day, how would that be looked upon? So the Chinese have this concept of face. So with face, you don't want to do anything to make yourself look bad, and you don't want to do anything to make others look bad. So oversimplification, it's you criticize in public, and then you celebrate. I'm sorry, you criticize in private, and you celebrate in public. So no matter what, there's a different concept of loyalty. There's a different concept of just um, being together and focusing on things that are going to continue to strengthen, go from strength to strength. So from that, if your criticisms are in private, then it's usually one-on-one, -on -one, not in like a group setting or anything. And if you're having a bad day, you're not going to be sitting at your desk crying or making a big deal about it. You're going to excuse yourself, go for a walk down the street, fix your face, and then come back and get back to work. I'm not saying it's healthy. I'm just saying culturally, that's just what happens. And people don't make eye contact. It's like you're working through something. So they give you the space to know that you're, I, I still remember the first time I was crying, in Asia. And I was surprised at first I was offended. Nobody's offering me a tissue. And then I was like, this is actually kind of good because I can figure out how I'm feeling right now. Cause I don't know. <laughs> right. And I think that really speaks to, you know, when we, that with that need to be strong, one of the things that we don't do is we don't deal with our emotions at all. And I think it's really interesting when I, ask my clients to name the emotion they are feeling right now. And people have this way about their feelings and talking about feelings and, oh, I don't like to talk about my feelings. And so when I say name the emotion, and mind you, an emotion is one word. It's not this big diatribe, but people will be, well... So when I went down the street and I had this sensation that I was thinking about this and then I went saw this and it made me feel that I might want to go and do this <laughs> so on and on and I said okay but what is the emotion and so people when people are thinking about talking about their feelings they are so out of touch with their emotions that they don't even they don't even know how to name an emotion. And so what you said just then was really powerful to me that, you know, you were crying and first you were offended, but then you were like, oh, wait, Great point. I can actually see, figure out how I'm feeling right now. Like you had the yeah. room to be able to drop inside and see what was going on with yourself. And yeah. that's one of the most powerful ways to get our emotions to move through us and not have them be stuck and create all the self-sabotaging mechanisms that hanging on to your emotions do. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think another thing too is just to kind of illustrate the difference in the cultures, 
I remember one of the first times that I went to the doctor. I was in Singapore, and it was one of my first jobs after college. So going from being a three-sport athlete and a whole bunch of clubs and a B, a solid B student, a double major and a minor, and not really being in front of a computer that much, if I'm being perfectly honest, was also working almost full-time, to having eight hours a day at a computer. I didn't know what to do with myself. I'm like, how does anyone do this? There's no way I can do this for the next 40 years of my life. Right. And I started legitimately losing my eyesight. And I don't know if it was stress or what it was, but I started getting astigmatism. My eyes were constantly in pain. I got really bad headaches. And when I went to the doctor, they asked me if I wanted to get treated East or West because they knew that I was American, but they also know oh, wow. I'm half Chinese. And when I asked them what the difference was at that time, it was my first job. I'm like, what's the cheapest? Right. <laughs> and then, and then when the doctor told me the difference, he said, all right, well, if I'm going to treat you like the West, then I'll give you an eye exam. You'll end up getting glasses. And then you're probably going to, your eyes are going to continue to deteriorate and you're going to have to keep getting stronger prescription every couple of years for your glasses. And I said, okay, that doesn't really sound good. I sweat a lot and I don't want to fog up my glasses. That was legitimately like what my mind was thinking. All right. On the other side, I said, well, what does it use do? And he's like, well, here. And he gave me a plant and then gave me exercises to look at something green because green relaxes the eyes, look over at an emergency exit in the, in the building, and then go back to looking outside. So being able to strengthen and do like an exercise for my eyes and then have it be relaxed because the color I was looking at was green, was able to, to strengthen my eyes. So on one side, you're, you're, you're solving a problem, but which one is more sustainable? And I just remember right. thinking, oh my goodness, this is, this is magic. I don't, I don't know how else to describe this. <laughs> so excited. I'm like, yeah, I don't have to take steroids. I don't take glasses. I have a plant and my headaches are going away. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I mean, one thing that's really cool about that, that I love, and I geek out on the brain and neuroscience. And, you know, when we were kids growing up, they thought the brain was one way, like, this is how you are. You're going to be that way forever. And it's so not true. It's completely plastic. And I think I was either in the brain that changes itself or maybe um, the brain's healing way. I don't remember which book, but um, where I learned about how you can change your eyesight with eye exercises. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, it's tone, tonality of the muscles of the eye to keeping the focal length the way it needs mm -hmm. to be. But Mm -hmm. Also, we get to change so much. And that's why that need to be strong, that need to like hold in all of our emotions mm -hmm. is not something you have to be forever. And I think sometimes people that are really strong get really scared because it's like, well, I don't want to be a blubbering mess like Sally Mae. <laughs> she's just, you know, she's like the drunk crying girl all the time. <laughs> I had a yes. period of being the drunk crying girl. <laughs> We've all been there. We've all been there. <laughs> um, but you don't have to go from stoic and not like feeling anything to the blubbering mess because that's not balanced emotions. That's, you know, the other side of the coin. Um, but neither one is 
ideal. The way we want to feel our emotions is you have an emotion, it mm -hmm. comes mm -hmm. and then it goes. Yeah. It's yeah. I mean, an emotion only lasts in the physical response of an emotion only lasts 90 seconds in our body. So whether we stuff it and hold it, that'll keep it going longer and create toxicity in our body and create physical ailments sometimes, sickness, mm -hmm. or if we just keep it going and feed it a story, it's like putting gasoline mm -hmm. on it. So yeah. but they come and they go and that's yeah. how they're supposed to work. Well, and it's interesting that you say that too, because I feel the, the biggest thing that I feel blessed for is perspective of multiple countries and multiple societies, right? So when you're in the U.S. growing up, and even since I've been back, how often do you find yourself intentionally or otherwise in a conversation where people are in that cycle? So they're feeding into a single emotion that may or may not only last for 90 seconds, but they're prolonging it because now they're complaining about things and they become chronic about staying in that cycle and they don't want to get out of it. For me, I get called rude all the time because I'll stop it. And it's just like, okay, do you need for me to hold space? If you need to get it out, cool. But if you want a solution, is this a relationship building activity or is this an objective, you know, type of activity? Like what are we dealing with here? And I and I'm kind of clinical when and very cold when it comes to that in the US because the tendency is just to kind of shift that reality. And I mean I see it as a shift. They might not see it as a shift, but I see it as a shift. Whereas when you're in Asia, you don't have a lot of that because culturally, the only time that you come to somebody with a problem is if you're also coming with a solution or if you're seeking a solution. So if you grow up in that type of environment, well, not grow up, but if you spend over a decade in that type of environment, it shifts quite a bit because it's more of a detached acknowledgement or from a meditation perspective, you're observing, right? So being an observer with, okay, I'm very unhappy with how this is going. This is on what I, I propose that we shift. What do you think? Then it kind of helps you also move through it in a very constructive way. Maybe I also had a lot of very lucky opportunities to, to be with emotionally regulated people. I don't know. <laughs> but my experience has been that. Well, it's interesting too. That makes me think of, I think a lot of us read the book, um, men are from Mars, women are from Venus a very long <laughs> time ago. And I mean, I was so young. I was in my early 20s, I think, when I read that book. But one of the perspectives, one of the things that they said is, well, men only come to people with their problems when they're seeking a solution, when they've racked their brain and they can't figure out what to do about it. So they're seeking a solution. Right. And women just like to talk about it and talk about it and talk about it. Um, and, you know, we know that's not necessarily always true. It's a vast generalization. And I'm sure over the past 25 years or so, that shifted for a lot of people. But I really mm -hmm. love the idea, you know, and this those of us that grew up needing to be strong, we were always trying to find a solution. And I think that's a very, see, one of the things about things that potentially self-sabotage us is they are survival mechanisms and we do get superpowers from them. Yeah. So we get to really be able to try and figure it out on our own first and really think about it and find a solution 
But the key is when we heal the wounds that created that need to be strong, then we can still keep our superpower of being able to figure stuff out and be able to also reach out for support and help when we can't figure it out. And so there's the there's the balance, you know, and if we use that stereotypical men are from Mars thing, it's like, why does the man never ask for directions? Like he has to figure it out on his own, but it's it's a superpower. It's a great thing to be that have that strong of self-efficacy to be able to do it. But then also mm -hmm. being able to be like, oh, I'm lost. I need some support. Yeah. yeah. I think, I think you bring up a lot of good points. Some of the things that were cropping up as you were talking on my side was ego. So for me, I like to think that I make a lot of really good decisions. And the concept of being strong and or self-sabotaging is, I think deep down I knew that I wasn't always surrounding myself with people that were actually cheering for me. I think that I surrounded myself with people that I was trying to earn the attention of or that I was, it was just as lopsided. It was no matter what, I could never be good enough and I could never, I could walk on water and it would never be good enough for them. And I surrounded myself with a lot of those types of people and dating, I'm very conservative. And so there was a lot of guys and my, my mom used to call them puppy dogs. And so my dad would say, you know, girls and guys can't be friends. It's always based on somebody wanting something else. And, you know, my mom would just say, oh, you have so many little puppy dogs, you know, chasing you around. And it never really occurred to me because I wasn't willing to be honest about the nature of the relationships. Because for me, I'm like, oh, they're just a friend. <laughs> they're, just, they're not just a friend. Like they're waiting for a moment to, you know, make their move right. on you. And I think in terms of being strong, that was one of my hardest lessons when I first came back to the US because I had tried to break my silence on domestic violence for probably about five years. And every person, even though I was you know, going to therapy, in and out of therapy, building different communities, distracting myself like nobody's business. I mean, for crying out loud, I actually crossed an Ironman finish line as a gift to the person who's causing me harm and almost took my life. Like who does that? Who does that? And I wasn't honest with my surroundings. And so each person that I had tried to break my silence to or talk to about the stuff that had happened within my life, a majority of them were guys and hundred percent of them tried to make sexual advances on me. And could you imagine you're having a moment of vulnerability? You're having a moment of, I don't really know what's happening. All I know is my family caused me harm. I don't know what to do about this. And I feel like I'm going crazy. I need a friend. I'm pretty sure I might need a hug, but if you touch me, I might punch you. So can I just tell you how I'm feeling right now? And over the course of five years, having every single person that I thought was a friend prove that they weren't actually friends. On one side, the ego was like, yeah, my dad was right. Another side, my mom was right. <laughs> Another side, it was, what's wrong with me that, I'm, that I've allowed this? How did I get to this point where I thought that these are my friends? And obviously a friend to a point where I trusted them with my biggest and darkest secret. And so that is where I learned how to be strong because being vulnerable wasn't safe because that was a big thing that was a huge violation in my world. And I think that, I mean, I get very kind of uncomfortable talking about it because it's like, oh man, I'm so glad I'm over that season. But are we ever really over seasons? Because we kind of dip in and out every once in a while. 
<laughs> and so I think, you know, it's, it's humbling. And I'm always reminded that strength isn't necessarily keeping everything all together. But now I redefine strength as being able to make those same questionable decisions and hope for the best. Because at the end of the day, I always have faith in humanity, always. I will give you an opportunity because I believe that you're going to do the right thing. So if I share something in my heart and if I'm in control of my emotions and if I'm observing my emotions and you are able to hold space, you just prove to me that I'm a strong person and that you're worthy of my trust. If you violate that, you just taught me, I don't need you, but I can always count on myself. Thank you for the lesson. On to the next. And so that framing, I think, is probably one of the most powerful in my own personal journey. Well, it's interesting, too, because I think typically men are taught to be strong more than women, typically. Um, and I wonder sometimes in those circumstances if there was also a partially thing where they didn't know how to deal with emotion at all. And in that idea of trying to comfort, the only way they know how to comfort this is I'm making up the story is to pull you in close, which of course leads, they haven't had experience. A lot of men haven't had experience in having those close connected hugs and things like that, yeah. that are supportive without it leading into sexual advance. So I wonder yeah. even too, but I mean, I guess then that just also says that they're not, they don't, aren't able to hold that kind of emotional space for you either. Yeah, so, I mean, either you know, way. You only meet people, you only meet people yeah. as deep as you're willing to meet myself or yourself. And so when I shared that with people in other countries, to me, it's fascinating on how I can share with people in Singapore and they'll behave in a certain way. I can share it with people in the Middle East and they can, you know, share, they can experience it with me in a different way. And then I can, I can share it with people in the U.S. and that's just completely different. And for me, it's, it's, I think we suffer from a lot of toxic masculinity. So a lot of guys don't feel that they're allowed to share that space. Perhaps even being strong is, you know, being stoic is a sign of being a man and just getting stuff done is a sign of being a man. And so if a girl is coming to them, I, I, I get it fundamentally, emotionally, it's probably one of the toughest lessons. And anyone who has that kind of framing is just like, well, wait a second, a guy in my head is supposed to be a protector. So if a guy is supposed to be a protector and I'm going to you because in my mind, I feel vulnerable and I need a moment of protection. And now you're shattering what I need in that moment. I might not have the skills to say what I need or articulate all of that. At the same time, this is something that I'm, I'm hoping for. And you're not able to do that. Whether a fault of your, yours or not, it's just that's kind of one of the situations that further supports why people don't always have healthy interactions, I guess. Totally. <laughs> I wrote an article called The Magical Penis. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's also so interesting, too, how you can share the same story with people from different cultures and how it's received and experienced different. I just also want to make for anybody that's watching, I believe my comments are working. So feel free to comment and ask questions. We'll bring them up here. Um, but how we have this idea that 
the world is the way that we see it, or most people do. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. you sharing that story about how it's received and experienced differently from culture to culture, it really reminds us that hey, the way I'm experiencing something may not be the absolute truth. And what other ways can I look at something from it? So when we say, I have to be strong, um, I had a conversation with one woman. She's been struggling a lot. And she, you know, she's always been the strong one. She's always been the rock. And she's saying that her friends and family, now that she's kind of crumbling, they don't know how to deal with her. Um, but that belief that we have, right? That belief that we have so strong inside of us that it, this is the way it has to be. Like I have to be strong. They can't. They will never be able to handle me any other way. You know, that's your perspective, and it's the only perspective. And when, like, I work with clients, one of the things I really dig into is we re the subconscious mind so that that believes up so you can see it from the Ch the chinese perspective from the american perspective from the people in egypt's perspective from and when you can see those vast wide ranges of how something can be looked at it opens up so much choice and so much possibility and I think that yes. leads me into how when we need to be strong, what we're trying to do is we're trying to control everything. We're trying to make sure that I don't get hurt, make sure I don't have an uncomfortable feeling. But just like the perspective thing, the more we could try to control everything, we're narrowing and narrowing and narrowing down. And that actually gives us less control. It's interesting though because I, I feel I hear what you're saying and I agree with you on one level. I think for me, I reframe it. So if I cry, as an example, if I cry after spending so many years of not publicly sharing certain emotions, the fact that I'm able to cry, I remind myself, Jess, thank you for being strong. This is so incredible. Thank you for being strong. And so I try to create an expansion in all of those spaces because for me, strength is being able to maintain a soft heart when the world is trying to harden it, being graceful when people are not being kind, being able to say, I'm having a moment right now and that's okay if you don't want to hold space for me, but I'm holding space for myself. I'll be back when I'm ready. And to me, those are signs of strength. Five years ago, 10 years ago, I would have said, you're crazy. <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> I mean, I remember one time waiting for a bus and crying at the bus stop and just, you're dressed up, you miss the bus, you got, you know, crackling your shoes, you don't have money for the bus. I don't know. Just everything possible that could have gone wrong went wrong. And you're just like, I just want to crawl back into bed and just restart. Control, alt, delete. And then just letting it out and feeling like, oh my goodness, I feel like normal people do this and I should probably do this more, but I was so embarrassed and ashamed that I didn't do it for the next like five years. I'm like, no, that was, that was just one experience. But I think, you know, that kind of, 
had little glimpses, but my ego got in the way and my ego was just like, okay, your heart's coming out and doing something. Nothing bad happened. Therefore, it should be a safe thing, right? But then the ego is still framing based on my conditioning and everything that, no, this is what we think. This is what is strong and this is not strong. You're being a little weakling. Put on your big girl panties and let's get on with it. (laughs) And so it takes time. Well, and also the thing is in those moments when you're expressing an emotion, when you have these triggers popping up, these little monsters in your head popping up, you should be ashamed of yourself. This is not how to do it, not what we do. If you have that coming up while you're trying to release an emotion, so you're releasing one emotion, but you're just piling it with shame and guilt and and shame is one of the most debilitating emotions that are out there. And this is, I think, one of the driving forces of having to be strong is that showing any kind of weakness, showing that we need support, showing that we need help, showing that we have emotions is a source of shame. And so, of course, we're going to fight to avoid that. I mean, nobody wants to feel shame. It's shame. Be, be a rebel. Be a rebel with a cause. Have a tea party. Emotions are coming up. Cool. Let me grab. Let me go make a pot of tea. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone's invited. What are we experiencing? Multiple perspectives: the head, the heart, the gut. Come on, everyone, <laughs> pour it out. <laughs> I have tea parties sometimes, multiple times a day, depending on what's kind of happening. So it's. I think it's important to just. For me, I don't remember who started it, but it's the five, four, three, two, one. So if you're having an anxious mind and you, you know, walk into a room and you try to spot five things that you can see, um, four things you can touch, three things you can smell, two things, um, it, it goes on all the senses. Um, right. I don't know, all the senses off the top of my head here. And then one yeah. thing that you can taste. <laughs> right. And then as you go through five, four, three, two, one, it gets you back into like the, the present moment. And to me, there's no such thing as a good or bad emotion. It's just a, a message to, to tell you if you're in a safe place, if you're not in a safe place, if you're doing something that makes your heart feel good, if you're doing something that, you know, you're trying to prove to your ego. I mean, I, that's not how I view emotions, at least. And I admit, I'm not normal, and I'm totally fine with that. <laughs> but when they come up, I'm like, all right, we're having another tea party. Let's do this. <laughs> I love the idea of a tea party. Um, I mean, none of us are normal. Who is normal? What is normal? Unless we all had the exact same experiences in all of the exact same ways with the same DNA, then we would see and think and feel the same, maybe. So what is normal? I mean, maybe more people are a certain way but they're still going to have one thing that's unique to the way they think. And that is what's beautiful. I mean, like I said earlier, our self-sabotaging things, our, our trauma responses, if you will, do create superpowers because we tend to go to one side and really, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Strengthen up a certain skill and overcompensate. Yeah, we overcompensate, but those become really good. I mean, my brain, if I need to get a lot of stuff done, I mean, my brain works like a Tetris game. 
And if I need to operate on that level, I can see where all the pieces need to fit. I can see the symphony. Yeah. I also can see like higher, bigger problems because see where all the things need to fit and how it will all work. Whereas some other people, because of maybe whatever they experience, they might look at something and they're going to be that person that's going to, I'm going to delegate them to work on that little tiny detailed thing that I don't want to work at the detail because I can see all the big pieces fitting in the Tetris and thing so and the lines going down. Okay, accomplish that line. <laughs> accomplish <laughs> the next line. Um, so but I don't funny. have that. I don't have that. I have to do it. I have to operate on that crazy high impact level anymore. But I still get to keep the superpower. Yeah, I think you br you bring up a very valid point. Once you understand yourself at that level, and you know how to trigger yourself. And in order to get things done, I mean, if I'm having a melancholy day or just not motivated for something, I, but I have a big list of things that need to be done, I know exactly how to sabotage my system <laughs> in order to get going and create just enough stress that will, you know, get me through the finish line on whatever I need to do. Um, I was perfect example a couple nights ago i'm putting together a 21 in 2021 event with one of my nearest and dearest and i didn't know what to do i didn't know marketing materials i didn't know how i wanted to brand it i didn't know any of this stuff and so you wait until the last minute because you know that's what sometimes <laughs> people do and then at the end of it i realized the reason why i waited to the last minute was because this is something that's new it's something i get to do with a friend that i cherish and value I'm terrified of disappointing that person. So right then and there, I'm in an emotional state about it. If you wait until the last minute, you can't be emotional. It's not about emotional. It's about getting it done. So yes. all the stuff that I could have been spinning around with like the perfectionism and, you know, worrying about how are they going to view it and da -da -da, all these different knucklehead stories that we tell ourselves. I'm like, nah, I'm good. We'll get it. We'll get it done. What needs to be done. <laughs> and, then, and then all of a sudden it was, done in about two and a half hours and didn't even think twice a couple minor edits but that's what we went and released on and so to me that's you know recognizing it wasn't that I wasn't being motivated but it was the fact that emotions were coming out and I didn't know how to handle that and so I distracted myself with something different and then when I came back and recognized why I was emotional then it became very easy for me to detach and then move forward right or just procrastinate yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and then reflect. <laughs> I mean, that's so powerful because when something, when you're deep in it, I mean, when somebody just throws you into the pool, it's like sink yeah. or swim. You don't have time to think about, oh, I'm scared of the I'm water and I'm scared of the fish. Um, Survival mode. <laughs> you just do it and you click in. And yeah. I mean, it's incredible, incredibly powerful tool. I mean, I know so many people that wait till the last minute for everything and it probably play that plays a big part in it is all those fears. So if we take that time like you did and you start to pull apart, what are the emotions coming up? And that's one of the things I work with my people on. It's like name mm -hmm. that emotion. What's coming mm -hmm. up? What are you not? Yeah involved in. And most of us are so out of our bodies, especially yeah. I think those of us that have to be strong and our emotions yeah. live in our bodies. So 
if we're not really operating from an embodied place, where mm-hmm. are we, where are we even be able to feel our emotions? hundred percent, hundred percent. I mean, really quickly in terms of processing. So if I would have acted on it or I guess picked a fight and self-sabotage myself because I didn't have the awareness in that exact moment to know that I was feeling emotional, then I would have caused tremendous harm to that relationship. But by being able to step back to nothing and then recognize that I was procrastinating, reflecting why I was procrastinating, realizing the emotions that I was feeling with it, again, not having that understanding or awareness in the moment, but just when I was looking back, then that gave me everything that I needed to say, okay, do I feel insecure about this relationship? If yes, why do I feel insecure? What can I do in order to strengthen it? Is this something that I can have a constructive dialogue? Because in that moment, it would have been like, Jess is nuts. Why is she being so anal about all of this? Or why is she like, you know, normally she's very, this is what we're doing. She's lost her, <laughs> lost her mind on this. <laughs> and then creating a fight. And then later on, it's just like, hey, being able to have that conversation being like, I admire you so much. And you are miles ahead of me in this space. And I just really want to make sure that I'm doing something that you feel I'm going to honor you with. That to me is the difference of operating from ego and lack of awareness to being able to kind of hold space for yourself, get through that, and then kind of sit with it and then be able to, lack of better terms, reverse engineer and be able to strengthen the relationship or the friendship or partnership, whatever, um, in productive ways. And unfortunately, we are in a society in the U.S. where everything had to be done yesterday. So that concept of holding space is very difficult. <laughs> we have so many attachment issues in the U.S. It's like, I just need five minutes. <laughs> well, and often that's all it takes. You, you know, yeah. it's if we all just pretend that we smoke and go outside for a cigarette break. <laughs> Don't smoke. Carrot sticks. Yes. To give yourself that space to recognize what is going on with you emotionally. And you not only figured out the emotions, but you were like, why are these emotions coming up? And you're able from that point to address them, you to be brave and actually step into having the conversation. It's, um, it reminds me a little, I had a conversation with a friend of mine whose brain was spinning the other day. And I told him about um, this one thing I saw in some talk Brene Brown did. She's like, whenever I'm having feelings and like, oh, with my husband, I always start the conversation with the story I'm making up about you is. So in that case, you know, your the story you were making up was like, wow, this person is, I feel like they're ahead of me. And you know, so yeah. it's causing 100%. some insecurity. And when we acknowledge, first of all, that it's a story, because it's a story most of the time. I mean, it's based on some feelings that we're having, which your feelings are valid. It's okay to have them. But mm-hmm. what are what is the story that's feeding the feelings? Yeah. Because yeah, so if it comes up, as a thought for just a moment, it's going to move right through without a thing. But if Absolutely. we're feeding that story, it's going to potentially paralyze us. The more, the more we're able to just deal with our emotions, get in our body, recognize even mm-hmm. sometimes just so simple as where, close your eyes and ask yourself, where in my body do I feel this? 
and putting your hand on it and just acknowledging yeah. that you feel it, it that gives so much power for things to be able to shift and move. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. For my group fitness classes, any of my warriors will laugh because I'm always touching my nose and they're like, Joss, we're not kids, we're adults. I'm like, I know, but you automatically know every time I point to my nose, you're breathing, where are you breathing? And they're like, in my nose. And I said, does it help you? And they're like, yes. And I'm like, that's all it is, as simple. We're doing you know, high intensity interval training and I don't have the breath because I'm doing the workout with them. And you know, you're doing the workout plus you're calling out commands and you just slow it down and then they automatically know. So you don't have to, you don't have to activate the mind to think about anything. You're just, you're watching. And then automatically it starts slowing down the system and it helps their, their body get back into a space of uh, equanimity, a space of, of just peace and balance. Yeah. They call that an NLP. They call that an anchor. It's like even those, uh-huh. those songs that bring you right back to a certain place is an yeah. anchor where you have it and you're just flooded with that feeling. So you touch the nose and you get that. Yeah. That's great. I love that. This uh, is my anchor. Oh, love it. It's a picture, a picture of me with a dog, my very first um, family pet. And that's to remind me of my purity, my innocence, and my capability to love. That's my anchor. So every time I'm in anything, it's just like, just remember, you're a little five-year-old girl six-year-old girl with a puppy and that's it innocent (laughs) pure and love (laughs) yeah I had this one one of the most profound moments in my life was I had this memory of myself when I was uh, probably three or four years old on the front porch I was drawing and Mm -hmm. it was a visceral memory I could feel what it felt like to be me before anything bad had ever happened and Mm -hmm. I could feel freedom and the space and the power really that like individual power that one has and that became kind of my anchor point for the biggest bulk of my healing it was like I always like that's what I'm trying to get to like I always was trying to get better feel better and do better but I never had that touch point so that little moment of me before anything bad happened what became an anchor for me yeah, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. We're coming up on, we're getting close to the hour mark. Let's talk about, tell me about what you have going on. You've got the 21, 21 thing. Yeah. Uh, that, and tell me about what you do with your clients, the services, your offerings, or tell the people. So that, don't tell there's them. so many magical, <laughs> there's so many magical things. Um, So I think for me, in terms of not trying to self-sabotage, I'm trying to exercise my muscle of no. (laughs) It doesn't always work (laughs) because I like to, I get overly excited for a lot of different things. I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Here's my diary. Let me, let me figure it out. How much time do you need for this? Yes, I can do it. No problem. (laughs) So for me, I'm really, really, really trying to keep it to three projects a month. And if I can't, you know, it has to wait until like the next month or moving right. forward. And so right now I'm on a wave of a whole bunch of podcasts to specifically share what I'm doing, which I'm super blessed about. Um, I recently was able to create and publish an intro video 
So I'm very excited about that. It talks about a little bit of who I am, uh, my coaching business, and then also a heavy focus on corporate wellness programs. It's on your website, right? That video? Yeah. Yeah. It's on my website. It's also on LinkedIn. LinkedIn's my playground for keeping people updated on everything. So I've uh, also been doing a lot of workshops. So for workshops, it's just teaching people the art of pause. So with Iron Man, impossible to I am possible. Uh, for the younger generation, a lot of schools within the domestic violence space, I have a program called Be Your Own Hero. So we do a lot of role playing and I'm not a, a clinician, therapist or social worker. I'm a survivor. So being able to go in as a survivor, I'm able to connect with a lot of the teams that are going through different things. One as being something that they can know that there's always light at the end of whatever they're going through because yeah. I survived and if I did, so can they. And, and then also being able to uh, strengthen the community within whoever shows up in that realm, which I think is super important. And it's sad that we bond over trauma, but it's, you know, a bunch of good souls and bright lights that just need to find one another. And then the last program is to cultivate a warrior mindset. And that is the, the biggest one that I've been focusing on recently. And it taps into a lot of my resilience coaching because I do personalized coaching and it's helping people within a corporate context on a very surface level, connecting with themselves a little bit deeper. That way they can connect with their teams. Um, from a holistic perspective, when you have healthier and more collaborative teams, it helps the bottom line. Once the bottom line is helping, then everyone gets happy because stronger together. Everyone's a little bit more financially secure and doing awesome things. <laughs> yeah, and so, uh, yeah, I have a partnership um, being an ambassador for a company in Asia, specifically for gamifying corporate wellness. I have um, my online program that's going to be launched on a couple different platforms. Uh, one's based out on the East Coast, another one's based out on the West Coast. I have ongoing. Um, 21 day reboots or 10 day boot camps uh, with various fitness and health professionals around the world. So yeah, just keeping busy and productive and trying to find ways to help people feel empowered and have sustainable wellness. Awesome. I love all of what you're up to, which is why I wanted to do this with you. <laughs> and when in doubt, join one of my classes because I still teach fitness classes. That's why I'm still in all my sporty stuff. I'm like, all right, grab <laughs> Grab a quick um, a snack, wipe off the sweat, wash my face, brush my teeth. Let's let's talk. <laughs> well, and I love that too because it's a way for people to connect with you and get to know you a little more. Sometimes people, when they're stepping out into trying to work with somebody, they really want to get a sense and a get of get a sense and a feel of somebody they want to work with before they take that step. Um, let's see if this actually comes up. Look at this. I would like to give a shout out to Caddy. Caddy, such a sweetheart. That was so insightful and I teared up and nodded along too. You know what? Stronger together. (laughs) Your voice shakes a little bit in the beginning, but the louder you get and the stronger you get with yourself, the easier it is to find your tribe. So no matter what, (laughs) we're all in this together. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) And so I want to let you guys know, um, most of you guys know I have a program where it's like your elevation and we work towards 
rewiring all that self-sabotaging stuff, building the skills. And that is so much easier when you've taken those trigger points out and we've neutralized the emotions, the source. We really, What we really do is we go back to the very first, the source event of whenever you felt that and we clear that up. And when that gets cleared up, all the trigger goes away. It's really kind of, it's like magic. But for those who are kind of interested in exploring something a little different, I'm just starting a new thing called illumination sessions. And so in an illumination session, we dig into your subconscious mind because this is where we have a lot of answers. There's a part of you inside that really knows. We have those moments, you know, you have those insightful moments when you're like, yes, this is exactly what I need to do. And it's so clear. So we go in and we talk to that part of your mind and we do a deep dive and figure out and ask it, what is getting in your way? What is it that you need to do to solve a problem? So we tap into asking about what beliefs are getting in your way, what emotions are getting in your way, what specific things are getting in the way. I actually did this one years ago, not years ago, well, I guess a year and a half ago. No, less than that. No, a year and a half ago. I forget. COVID has made times very, time very strange. But I actually- Time's relative. <laughs> And because my eyesight had gotten wor a little bit worse and I wear contacts and glasses and I did a deep dive into my subconscious mind and asked what I needed to do to make my eyesight better. And it told me to take vitamin A and vitamin K. I never even heard of vitamin K. I was like, what is vitamin K? And it might not, this might, I'm not saying go out and do this for your own eyes, what my subconscious needed for my body. and I have moved backwards to prescriptions. So but the body knows the body knows. Yes, exactly. That's the thing is the body knows and there's a lot of information that we do not tap into consciously. So in these illumination sessions, that's what we're going to do. We're going to come to a specific problem and do a deep dive and figure out what your inner knowing and your body has to say. And um, just to say out loud, in case people are listening and, and not watching, you can reach out to me on Facebook via, via direct message or on my website at JeneaBarnes-Elevate.com. And that's G E N E A. B-A-R-N-E-S-Elevate.com. And Jessica, how do they get in touch with you? Yeah, the easiest way is to either find me on LinkedIn, because that's my playground for everything, or just follow me uh, on my website, jessicacorvo.com. Easy peasy. I look forward to supporting anybody that needs a, a little bit of a, a tribester or stronger together accountability person. <laughs> awesome. Love it. Well, thank you so much. And thanks for watching you guys. And feel free to keep leaving comments with questions. We will get back to them, back to you at um, another time if you're watching this on the replay. And thanks for watching Self-Sabotaging Sagas. Thank you so much for inviting me. Yeah, I'm excited.
Bye, everybody.